Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to KSL News Radio. I am Jason Perry, the director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Joining me today is. Morgan Lyoncotti, I get to work with Jason. <laughs> I, 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 we would have said every day. I guess we still work with each other every day, just not yes. in the same office. Anymore. No longer face-to-face no. like the old days, but you know we're making the same number of widgets, so thank you, Morgan. <laughs> Seems like we're making more widgets. Uh, it might be true, but, but it's a good segue, too, because yes. we got someone responsible for the state's making of widgets, plus everything else, too. This is a, such an important time for us to have our next guest. Derek Miller is the president and the CEO of the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce and Downtown Alliance. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with both of you. Well, Derek, you have a huge and important role uh, right now with the Chamber of Commerce, and uh, the the governor and many others in the state are leaning on you uh, for your expertise as you're putting together a few different items we want to talk about uh, for the state. But maybe take a second about something you've been just so instrumental in, uh, the Utah Leads Leads Together plan. This is really the the, the plan for economic renewal in the state, and you've just been so critical to this. Maybe talk about what that is and where it is now and where it's going. Well, probably the most familiar element of the Utah Leads Together plan in the public is that color-coded system that we're now all familiar with, you know, the red, the orange, uh, the yellow, and hopefully, fingers crossed, someday even green. Um, That was an element of one of the very first uh, versions of Utah Leads Together. But the history behind this goes all the way back to March, which in some ways feels like a lifetime ago, probably to a lot of us. Uh, The state got organized by creating a COVID-19 task force, as well as creating an economic response task force. And uh, Governor Herbert, you, Jason, served as his chief of staff. Uh, I served as his chief of staff. And and, um, one of the things that the governor asked me to do in my role in the chamber was to be the chair of that economic response task force. And we realized quickly that, you know, every good thing begins with a plan and a vision. And so that is really what the Utah Leads Together plan uh, encapsulates is what would the economic recovery look like. And so the good news for all of us is that very early on, almost on day one of the pandemic coming to Utah, uh, we did get organized and we did set out a vision. The other thing I would say about it is that not only do you have to plan, but you also have to adapt. That's what every individual family business has been doing throughout this pandemic. And so uh, we knew it wasn't enough just to have one plan, but to have multiple versions. And so we're currently on version five of that Utah Leads Together plan. 
How, how has that evolved? Because I've, I've been watching those plans closely. How has it evolved? What have you had to adapt and change? And maybe what, if, what you see going forward, what you may have to yet do, because you do have to be nimble with what's happening with our economy. Well, we're just learning a lot that we didn't know before about the coronavirus, about how we can deal with it. For example, uh, one of the things that we learned is that it didn't hit all people, impact them in the same way. We have learned, the healthcare professionals have told us that it it seeks uh, one of the best things I heard it described in the coronavirus was from uh, Dr. Michael Good at the University of Utah Healthcare, who said the virus is a bully. It seeks out the weak and the vulnerable and the old and, and attacks them uh, harder and with more veracity than anyone else. Um, the good news or sort of the silver lining in what we learned is that it meant that if we were safe, that others who were not in vulnerable categories could actually continue to engage in the economy. And that's why we have things like uh, social distancing and wearing masks. And, of course, in the early days, we, it was sort of a shelter-in-place, stay-home uh, model. But now we know that if we're safe and if we do wear our mask where we can't social distance, we can actually continue to go about our work and our business and our pleasure and our play. Beyond some of those things that you were just talking about, because my question is, um, what are businesses doing to keep employees and customers safe? And we know about the masks and, you know, physical distancing and these things. But what are some of those um, extra measures or extra cautions that you've talked about as a chamber with the different businesses and community partners within Salt Lake? Yeah, thanks for asking that question, Morgan, because one of the things that we're most proud of from the Salt Lake Chamber perspective is the campaign that we launched um, just a few short weeks ago called Stay Safe to Stay Open. And it really is a way for businesses to, number one, understand what those safety protocols are. Number two, um, make sure they're following them to keep their employees safe. And number three, communicating to customers that the that business is following those safety protocols because we all know that the U.S. economy and by extension, the Utah economy is a consumer-driven economy. About 70% of all of our economic activity is uh, driven by consumers. And so we need to make sure that we're keeping consumer confidence high. And one of the important ways to do that is by businesses taking the stay safe to stay open pledge so that they can tell uh, uh, customers that if you come to this place, we're following health and safety protocols. And so I'll put in a shameless plug for that. You can go to stayopenutah.com as a business and take the pledge. And it's an important way that we're increasing consumer confidence. So is this, and this is listed on the website, Derek. So if I'm looking at a place to go, I can see if they've taken this pledge. So in addition to listing the uh, safety protocols to follow, uh, yes, there is, to answer your question, a list of businesses who have taken the pledge. And you can sort that by industry. If you want, if you're looking for a restaurant, if you're looking for a retail shop, if you're looking for a plumber or a mechanic, you can go in and find those businesses who've taken the safety pledge. One of the things I, th- I thought was interesting on top of this that you've been working on, Derek, too, through the chamber and even through uh, the University of Utah uh, Business School and also with the Hinkley Institute of Politics is something that you've been working on with this Hope Corps, uh, a group yeah. of, uh, of people. Why don't you talk about that just a little bit, too, because we're seeing the benefits that's popping up in businesses and nonprofits all over the state. It's important to remember as, as much as we are impacted by this virus, 
everyone is impacted by the virus, and that includes the thousands of students at universities across the state who had their summer plans disrupted because of the pandemic. And uh, because of foresight of, of individuals, including the, the great dean of the business school at the University of Utah, uh, Dean Taylor Randall, who approached me and said, you know, Derek, we have all of these students who, whatever they were planning on doing this summer, they are not doing this summer. And couldn't we partner with the, between the business school, the university, and the Chamber of Commerce and all of the businesses that they represent to give an opportunity to students so that they don't have a wasted summer. And we called that the Hope Corps. It's sort of based similar to the Peace Corps from the 60s, where we got students, thousands of them. And I should hasten to add that the University of Utah reached out to all the other universities across the state, public and private, and said, we'd love for you to participate and give opportunity to your students. And so they've been doing really cool things. In fact, just last week, I had the chance to interview three of those students. One of them was going around helping with the randomized testing uh, that is happening for antibodies in the that have been developed as, as part of the coronavirus. And another student uh, who was planning to go to Seattle and work for uh, Microsoft for the summer ended up, because she had Spanish language capabilities, staying here and working with some businesses that were minority-owned businesses right here in Salt Lake City, helping them to translate a lot of materials uh, from uh, English to Spanish and to be able to expand their market that way. So just really cool examples, and I'm grateful to be able to say that because of the Hinckley Institute of Politics that you run, Jason, this program will continue, not just through the summer, but uh, through this school calendar year as well. Yeah. Well, we're thrilled to be partnering with you, Derek. Thanks for your leadership on that, too, because we do want to keep it going. We only have a couple seconds left, but I, I thought I'd just ask you this quickly because uh, you, you were so helpful in the chamber all, you know, as you thought through the color-coded restrictions. I thought maybe just a couple of seconds. So, you know, When we started, it was, it was sort of called the level of risk, but because of the great insight that you all have had and maybe the false notions it gave to some, we've, sort, we've changed that to the level of restriction. Right, So when people look at this thing, they should understand what it means. It's not necessarily just a gauge of risk. That's right. And, and really what it communicates to people is that we're all in this together. And, you know, we've seen this with the mask debate where people early on thought, well, I'm not feeling sick. Why should I wear a mask? And we had to help educate people. Well, the mask is for you uh, to not just to protect yourself, but to protect others. So when we talk about whether it's in terms of restrictions or in terms of risk, what we're really communicating to people is, hey, we need to be watching out for each other. Uh, great comment. Great way to close that as well. Derek, thank you for your leadership and all you're doing on behalf of us at the State of Utah. And thanks for being with us today. Thank you. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.